You've been the city councilor now for three years. Three years First coming up, coming into election. Yeah, um, election year next year. So what is Kelowna doing to address the opioid crisis? Like, are there plans for prevention and treatment in place? The official community plan is, is how we grow um, and how we anticipate to fit 50,000 more people. Is there more help for local businesses and, and more help for the people that need the help downtown? We've housed over 400 people in the last three years. <laughs> you probably win but... that. I mean, you're the most fashionable guy. <laughs> No, no. Sarah Gouda and Jim Check from the Now Media Group ask questions, explore topics, and shine a light on the conversations that matter. We're here today with Loyal Woldridge, City Councilor and Chair of Regional District of Kelowna. Welcome, Loyal. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. I'll let Jim start. Loyal, I wonder if you could just share with us um, the past year in the City of Kelowna, just some of the accomplishments that you guys have done, some of the challenges you've faced, and, and then we'll finish off with, you know, like what the plan is for, for next year. For sure, for sure. Um, we'll start with kind of the official accomplishments this year, which is the actual mandate of, of municipal government, and then probably some of the headlines that a lot of folks um, have concerns or, or opinions about. Um, the biggest accomplishment was our official community plan, uh, which was endorsed, oh, about a month ago. Um, and that was a four-year project uh, prior to my time even on council. So for the last three years, we've been working on, on that document and basically the official community plan is, is how we grow um, and how we anticipate to fit 50,000 more people into our region and well Kelowna specifically um, over the next 20 years and then how we're going to service all of those infrastructure upgrades transportation and, and those those things so that's probably the biggest document and policy that we've seen this term and I think one of the major shifts that we'll see in the city of Kelowna. That's a big number 50,000 more people. So what's the biggest kind of like challenge putting 50,000 more people in? I could guess transportation would be one of those. Um, most folks would say transportation, um, but second to that is the environmental impact. Uh, this city has been very privileged to be able to just grow outwards um, up into the mountainsides and in the outlying areas, which is definitely cheaper to develop from a, a, like a, a green Greenland perspective. Um, but what we've, we're finding is that that's not sustainable, both from an environment perspective, but also transportation um, and infrastructure deficit. And when I say infrastructure deficit, I'm referring to the renewal fees of all that unsexy infrastructure under the ground that most people don't think about that isn't paid for by development once the homes are there. So the, the challenge is fitting that many people into the growth nodes that we currently have um, in our big shift are shifting to growing in urban centers and densifying in those areas. Yeah, we won't get into too much in the housing because we had Doug Gilchrist in the he's the pro so <laughs> we talked a lot about housing there and I know that housing is one of the bigger challenges currently in Kelowna and I know you guys are doing some um, initiatives to kind of help that and obviously grow into that as well um, what are some of the bigger things in the OCP that people should be aware of like that you know would be beneficial to especially the children that are growing up in this area Right, so probably understanding where the different neighborhoods are going to shift in terms of form and character. A lot of folks have lived in certain areas for long periods of time. Um, and what's really important is that those same people are saying we need more affordability for our children, which means we need to deliver a different type of product into the market so that they can afford it, both from a rent perspective and an ownership perspective. So gone are the days of big, sprawling, single-family lots, um, and we're needing to you know shrink those lots a little bit to fit different 
different types of products um, and really focusing on purpose-built rental. The data is showing us that um, people are staying in the rental units probably twice as long as they once were just because home ownership is becoming further and further out of reach, um, which is definitely where we look to our senior government partners and provincial and federal governments for grants and, and subsidies to support people um, in terms of housing. Um, second to that is looking to transportation and how we're going to shift different modes. We've been a very car-centric city, again, because we're so sprawling. Um, and, and we just know that our roads are at capacity and we can't really make them wider. We, can't, we don't want to build you know, double-decker highways. That's not good for community. Um, so shifting people's modes and, and transportation choices, both from, both from active transportation um, and uh, things like transit and, and those modes. What are some challenges you faced uh, coming up with the new project ideas for the OCP? Um, probably mindset shift is the number one, overcoming that. Um, but it was probably one of the biggest engagements that we've seen from the, the population of Kelowna over those four years in terms of how to grow. But it's always... Um, in theory, really wonderful to think about changing ways, but when we think about our day-to-day lives, that's where, where the challenges come. So if, if you live in an area of town where your roads are already congested and we're forecasting them to be even more congested, that's that's a hard pill to fall, swallow. So um, probably public perception from there. Um, yeah, that's what I would say about that. And has COVID stalled or slowed down any projects for 2022 or this year? Oh, the big C. <laughs> We're going to avoid that. <laughs> oh, okay. um, it, it's changed the landscape. And what I think we have to be careful about when it comes to the pandemic is that um, certain behaviors have, have shifted, but it's mm-hmm. shifted in such a short amount of time that we can't necessarily look at those shifts as being trendsetters. So, for example, we've seen a lot of people move here out of, out of met area, metropolitan areas um, and want to buy single-family homes. So the demand for single-family homes has definitely increased over the last 18 months. Um, is that a trend that we'll see over a 10-year span? We don't know uh, because there's many variables um, when it comes to single-family homes and tr- like affordability and, and access to services and those, those key points. So COVID has definitely changed behaviors a bit, but I think when we look at trends, it's really important that we step back and realize that there's certain contributors um, that could skew the data. Um, we see that with crime as well. We had your good friend Jason Zilke in here the other day talking about West, the city of West Kelowna and that they have a lot of single-family home lots coming online. They have a couple of big developments, mm-hmm. which will, uh, where Kelowna is more focused, I think, in the downtown, if we look and we're looking more up than out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good blend that the city of West Kelowna is kind of looking for those single family homes for people that are looking for, you know, like the suburb kind of living and versus, you know, the downtown. Because I, I look at our cityscape, and it looks pretty impressive compared to, you know, even five years ago. You've been the city councillor now for three years. Three years coming up, coming into election. Yeah, um, election year next year. Silly w- season. What do you think was the biggest surprise for you, like, like being a first term councillor, and and the, and I guess one of the better things that you can remember why you did it and, and why you're loving it. So I, I still love I still love the job, and probably what got me into it was owning a business downtown and seeing the social challenges um, that I think everyone that's listening to this is probably aware uh, we're faced with both here locally, provincially, and, and nationally. Um, and probably my biggest surprise was um, 
the little levers that local government have to actually affect change when it comes to the social challenges. And uh, what I'm most proud of is, is as a city of Kelowna, being a convener and, and getting some of the right people around the table to start to conquer some of those social challenges. Um, they're extremely complex. I come from an RCMP household, and I've, I've, I've seen these my whole life with my dad being a member of that agency. Um, so that was probably my biggest surprise was the lack of autonomy that local government has um, when dealing with those issues because most people think that it's something that we we control what is um like would talk about downtown a little bit I, mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of beautiful aspects of downtown I mean it looks great and there's you know like the down like Bernard Street's amazing and all that and then there's some still some challenges downtown for sure for a lot of the local businesses is there is there more help for local businesses and and more help for the people that need the help downtown so I think it's twofold. Um, the first is that what we're seeing throughout Kelowna in concentrated areas of our urban centers, Rutland and downtown, um, is we, we've housed over 400 people in the last three years um, that were previously. That's impressive. Eh? Which is a big accomplishment that we haven't seen in, in decades. Um, but what that's done is it's left folks on the street that have really complex needs and those people don't necessarily have the right services attached to them to help manage um, their psychological state, their substance use state, Um, and then that's flowing over into businesses where their only lever really is enforcement, and and to be frank, that's the only lever that we as municipal government have to pull on is add more resources to the RCMP, so they're running around kind of picking up the pieces of people that are in in mental health crisis. So um, from my perspective, and, and one of the main things that we're working on with the province um, is a new solution for complex care um, and that's come to the forefront um, but I truly believe that we need to start looking at this in a more holistic way um, from a campus of care perspective for folks that don't do well just being housed on their own and some people have been kicked out of one to two supportive housing um, spaces in the past couple of years just because their needs are so complex. And what is Kelowna doing to address the opioid crisis? Like, are there plans for prevention and treatment in place? So the responsible agency for healthcare is Interior Health, which is the health authority attached to the ministry, and they're tasked with um, all healthcare-related um, services. And we do partner with them to ensure that we are promoting best healthcare practice through um, harm prevention. Um, many of our, well, all of the supportive housing sites that we have built through BC Housing um, embrace that model of, of um, harm reduction. Um, and we've started to see the ministry starting to bring forward a lot more um, treatment. Um, facility. I know they've got a couple requests for proposals out right now. And last year, earlier this year, actually, one of our biggest celebrations was opening youth treatment, which is something we've really been advocating to the province. So at a local government level, we act as advocates. Um, But my own philosophy is that we really need to start looking at this from um, a prevention state with youth. We know that uh, once people are experiencing social challenges when they're younger, it just flows over to their adulthood. So um, I think we really need to focus on our young people and supporting them with the right services so that we can prevent homelessness in the first place. We're going to hit on a couple of um, topics that are of concern for residents of Kelowna. One is the bridge crossing. Is there a second crossing in the immediate plans or is that something that's 20 years out, 30 years out? Um, from my recollection, I think the Ministry of Transportation has put a stop to that. I, it's not part of a conversation that I've been seeing anytime soon. 
um, I believe the statistic was about 95% of the, the traffic coming across the bridge is commuting into Kelowna for work or school or, or day-to-day. Um, the rest is passing through. So the high-level study, from what I re- recall, um, has stalled that project in terms of a second crossing for the time being. Some of the big accomplishments in Kelowna would be the KGH, the Cancer Centre, the UBCO, um, is there other ones that, that we're of note for? Well, probably what I'm most proud of with the municipality is our airport. It's one of the, um, the biggest contributors to our economic growth, um, which is why we advocated so hard to the federal government to, to see um, our international side of that airport opened up. Uh, because that affects our wineries, our ski hills, our golf courses. So that, and we're one of the only municipalities in Canada that actually own our airport. Um, what I'm really proud about is there's zero taxation impact with that asset. It's all self-funded through user pay. Um, and the airport director, Sam Samadar, has some really amazing plans coming down the pipe in terms of hotels and, and different ways that that is going to grow so um, with what we own um, the airport is probably what I'm most proud of and then our partners with UBCO expanding their medical program I think that's super exciting and then obviously we have such an amazing uh, healthcare center in KGH so all really work hand in hand Um, also with the expansion of UBCO downtown I almost forgot about Mm -hmm. um, and Okanagan College just keeps adding and adding (laughs) and Okanagan (laughs) College I think tonight uh, is a public hearing and we're seeing um, some upzoning of the Okanagan College site as well. So across the board, um, like I mentioned, I think supporting young people and, and bringing education is what's going to continue to grow this region and having that airport, uh, international airport, is, is a big asset. And we're sitting here in the Landmark District, and, and as you drove in, I'm sure you've seen Landmark 7 there, which they're trying to fill. I think that has the opportunity to bring in a lot more larger companies into the valley as well. It, it, the, the growth of Landmark absolutely will bring more companies. Um, and I think I was speaking to the Stober Group r- uh, recently, and their occupancy is pretty full. Um, I think from a city perspective, what we need to c- remain focused on is our pre-Landmark growth plan um, so that people can be living in this area so that we can cut down on the commuter traffic because there is such high density in the office towers that we need to make sure that we're delivering uh, the housing product to support as well. One of the main concerns... Um for businesses and for residents in Kelowna or in the central Okanagan is wildfire. Mm-hmm. And that, that seems to be like not a matter of, you know, if there's going to be a fire this summer, it's like how many fires there will be and, and, and who's going to get evacuated in that. How, how do we do a better job with mitigation? And, and is there grant money that's not being utilized? And like one of the things that we talked about with, with Jason was like maybe removing some of the the coniferous trees re- replacing with the city was around around homes we're not too worried about you know like homes being burnt down maybe just let you know mother nature do her her work right um so it's it's one of those things that isn't really valued until there's an emergency um, and with the regional district because it, again that covers our region of the central Okanagan, we do quite a bit of planning in terms of floodplain mapping as well as wildfire mitigation um, and then what I kind of get frustrated with, honestly, is those are beautiful, glossy reports. We know where the problems are, uh, but we don't necessarily see the funding to do the actual mitigation. So um, the first thing any homeowner can do is to fire smart their home. Um, the statistics I've heard and, and the rationale I've heard from fire professionals is homes are burning down not because of the fire sweeping through, but because of the ember shower that happens um, and ends up burning um 
combustibles around homes. So any homeowner can obviously fire smart their home. Um, but on a, a larger scale is to really start to fund those mitigation efforts early. And I know they're unsexy and they come with big price tags. Um, I think Mill Creek's um, flood mitigation is about a $50 million bill, which is a partnership with the federal government. Um, but that's where we have to continue to hammer home or looking for grants from the province and the federal government to, to do the mitigation early. And sometimes it's it's kind of like insurance. You pay for it and you hope you don't need it one day. Um, but when, you, when there is an event, those efforts go a long way. Um, I believe it was Logan Lake that ins- um, had installed sprinklers through their perimeter line um, before the wildfire season, season even began. Starts. And that saved their homes. So um, those can be expenses that, you know, taxpayers may not necessarily think we need. But in a time and event like that, it can, it can save lives. Yeah, I mean... For anybody that's lived in the Okanagan long enough, um, we can definitely see the response times getting better and better. Like when the fire starts on the hillside there, you can see that the planes are in the air, like a spotter's up right away and the planes are in the air within minutes and they're and they're working it. But they are at the mercy of winds and, and weather and stuff like that. And usually it's after a, you know, like a super hot day and then the winds come up and all of a sudden you know, a human caused fire kind of like it's, you know, like there's there's a little bit of luck and there's a lot of you know like their expertise and their you know like the initial attack guys out there and working it it's a lot to ask of them all the time especially like you know we have our um kfd and west Kelowna fire department out there too and they're they're typically used to fighting structure fires not not interface fires so yeah what's your thoughts on on those guys and all that work out there well, I think that as we've we've seen climate change really take effects on our natural environment, again, from fly, fires to, to flooding, um, our, our emergency operations center right now is um, basically reactive. So it's activated when an event starts. Where I'm starting to see the need is to have um, a full-time emergency operations center that's good to go with personnel staff that are able to take on that abundance of work because right now uh, we're both relying on our first responders as well as folks that we end up pulling from the city or the regional district to run the emergency operations center in addition to their day-to-day work. Um, And then um, emergency services are actually run by volunteers, which a lot of people don't realize either. So it's come to a crux where I believe that emergency operations needs to be full-time gig um, so that people are supported um, both from a frontline worker perspective but also the ongoing management side and planning on a more personal note um, when you ran you must have had some goals in mind do you think like how when you're you're grading yourself how you did and and what you think if you were going to run again um, does that shift kind of what you want to get accomplished obviously you've you've learned quite a bit and you seem very well versed (laughs) in in the topic so I mean, I think coming from the private sector, when you're an entrepreneur, you can switch something on the dial and, and change direction really quickly, whereas with government, you can't do that. So that's probably my biggest frustration is that things take a little bit longer um, and realizing that systems change for the for the subjects that I've spoken to a lot take time. So that's probably my biggest frustration. I think we've definitely moved the dial. I've given the job 110% right out of the gate. Um, So I'm really proud of our accomplishments. I think there's definitely more work to do and there always will be more work to do. Um, So I'm I'm feeling really confident with this last term. I know that there's uh, some folks that think that we could have pushed a little bit harder in different areas. But of course, when there's variables that come to light, like uh, natural disasters and um, 
dare I say, COVID pandemics, um, <laughs> that throws the wrench into a few different things. The part-time job, that's really a full-time job. And right? that's part of the conversation. You know, it's, Part-time it's pay, to, full-time job, right? It's hard to justify giving yourself a raise. <laughs> um, but when I'm speaking to folks um, and encouraging young people to put their names forward next year in the general election, what I usually am met with is, well, I can't live off of $36,000 a year. And it's true if we're going to have a serious conversation about getting leaders into municipal government um, and the expectation is full-time contact. Um, you know, Kelowna is not the small town that it once was. So that could be a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that in some of the larger cities, they do wards. Is that something that's been talked about for the, the city of Kelowna to have representation from like say Rutland and, and, you know, Glenmore and stuff like that mission? Yeah. And it, it's thrown out. I think almost every election award system gets thrown out. Um, and there are some municipalities neighboring us that do have ward systems. Um, I think the challenge that you run into with that is that you lose the kind of regional approach to understanding your, your entire community and, and visiting all different parts, and you start just advocating for one small piece of the pie. What I love about the structure that we have right here is that we get to learn about different areas of town and get to meet with people from Rutland or the Upper Mission or out in or out in McKinley or downtown. So I, I think it would actually be a detriment because I don't feel we're big enough like the um, greater Toronto area um, to, to warrant a ward system. Um, if our population were to grow astronomically in terms of region, that may be a conversation to have. But And isn't that just an advantage for a candidate to go out and try to, like if you're speaking Rutland, that to go out and just get the Rutland vote too, like, I mean, to represent, like, kind of has a ward system in that regard? Because if you're talking to some of the communities, I think there's there's a few communities that really have a distinct kind of, like, character, yeah. like, you know, downtown and Rutland and stuff like that, right? And maybe the mission, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get in trouble for this, but, like, <laughs> <laughs> there's some communities I don't think people even know where they live, right? Like, if, you know, in some areas, they're just like, well, I live in Kelowna. They don't really talk about the area. But I think Rutland has quite a bit of pride, and I think downtown does, too. Absolutely. Um, and I think that the challenge with, again, the ward system is that a lot of the challenges we have don't have borders. And that's probably a problem I have just with municipal government. And the thing I love about the regional district is that you get all the neighboring municipalities, First Nation and electoral areas around one table to talk about the more regional issues that need to be coordinated differently. Um, regional health, regional housing strategy, for example, we hear from developers, okay, well, if you're, if you're not going to allow us to build here with cheaper DCCs or, or growth strategies, we'll go to, you know, West Kelowna or Lake Country. So the more coordinated we can be in local government, um, the more we can accomplish the goals that the electorate's asking us to accomplish. Um, so I, th I think it, it really does take that open mind of collaboration, and I don't necessarily know if a ward system would accomplish that here. In your time as councillor, what are some initiatives that you're really proud of or that you've participated in? Oh, man, I think, um, and, and what I'll preface is that a lot of these initiatives are spearheaded by other agencies, and the city works as a convener um, to address them. And one of the ones that I can think of off the top of my head is the paid employment opportunities for people with lived experience. 
and that was spearheaded by Urban Matters here in town. And what that did was um, it took people that were experiencing homelessness through a six-week program um, to teach them life skills around entering the workforce and recognizing that these folks may not be working a five-day-a-week, eight-hour-a-day job, um, but gave interpersonal skills and um, understanding communication skills so that they could work three, four hours a day in different capacities, whether that's helping clean up at marathons or, or supporting at, at different community events. Um, those types of initiatives are what I'm most proud of because I think when we look to build community and we look to overcome some of our major social challenges, we need to look at different partnerships and bringing people around the table. And that's, uh, that's probably one of the, an example of community coming together there. And uh, you said you wanted more youth to be to join elections. Mm-hmm. Why is it important for youth to be involved in politics or equity and diversity? I would say, and that just brings different perspectives. Um, local government was kind of created in a way that you needed to be fairly independently wealthy in order to mm-hmm. be in that leadership role. And you just have to look at the names of past uh, councillors and, and mayors to see that they also are road signs of founding members of the community. And I think the challenge that when that's the only perspective you bring forward, you don't necessarily progress as as a city. And so having young people that come from different educational backgrounds, ethnicities, walks of life, uh, really helps bring that different flavor to the city that we're seeing change so rapidly. Is there anything that we've missed today that you want to talk about? Um, well, we didn't talk about a wardrobe budget. <laughs> you probably <laughs> win that. I mean, you're the most fashionable guy. <laughs> no, no. Uh, no like, you guys have pretty much covered everything. Actually, yeah. I was going to ask us one more question. Yeah. Um, what are upcoming projects for 2022? I know Jason Zilke told us about the new city hall being built in West Kelowna. So is there anything we can look forward to? Right. So, um, you know, I think it's been publicly talked about now that we're uh, looking to redevelop the Parkinson Rec Center site. So um, that will continue to be probably one of the major projects that we'll, we'll see come forward. Um, as well as a, um, the year before last, we implemented a park development development cost charge, which was quite controversial at the time. But the really cool thing now is that people love parks. And if COVID's taught us nothing else, is that outdoor space is so valuable. So over the next year, we're going to see some massive build-outs of public spaces in parks, Pandozi Waterfront, out in Glenmore, um, and I believe one out in Rutland, some major park investments. So um, those those types of projects are what hit community right at the heart um, and affect day-to-day lives. So um, we'll actually see the reality come forward with uh, with those investments. Do you guys have a, an image of the downtown, Look what it looks like in five years if all the projects go ahead? Does somebody like mock that up for you guys? Yeah, so we have a program. It's called Model City. And what's really cool about that program is that it can overlay the um, the maps that are created within the OCP and do renderings of the different heights of those areas, which is how the OCP is developed. But the really nerdy thing about it is that it also calculates um, the, the tax rates of those different areas so that you can start to see where you're not positive or in a deficit mm. in regard to infrastructure renewal, which is something that we're really focused on is how we're going to renew infrastructure so things don't fall apart. Um, so that Model City program helps guide um, guide those decisions are those public images or is that something you'd have to ask for kind of thing or i I think that they're presented to council every so often Hmm. um it's not uh, it's definitely more of a planning tool so it's not something that i go in and tinker with but um once a year when we get our our housing updates is where planning will bring forward um some of some of those images and and an idea around those 
those growth patterns. So it's, it's really cool to see how um, Kelowna has progressed from when I moved here in 1993 to where we are now, sitting in the landmark towers, looking uh, looking out at the city. So speaking of fashion, does anybody challenge you on and city council there? Ryan Dawn maybe? or I mean, I mean the mayor and I go head to head so every so often with our outfits. Um, but some some days are a little bit harder than others, so I'm a bit like uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry. I always wear um, a fancy shoe as my way of keeping That's my confidence. That's your thing, the shoes? Up. Nice. Yeah, my shoes are my favorite things. <laughs> Max has all the jewelry, right? Yeah, and the big coats. She has a pumpkin <laughs> coat. <laughs> nice. Um, you said something that I found interesting. You said Kelowna is not the small town that it once was. As someone who's new to Kelowna, what is, how is the population rate growth, and can you paint me a picture? Right. So uh, Kelowna used to be kind of peaches and beaches. People would come here for the uh, the orchards and come here in the summer for family vacations or to retire. Flintstone Village. Yeah, exactly. Flintstone Village was one of my favorites. So, you know, I, in my younger years, I was in the Kootenays, so we'd come here for McDonald's. Mm. We, we used have. to buy them and freeze them like two weeks. Where Seriously? I'm <laughs> from Greenwood, so you'd have a freezer full of these frozen Big Macs. Oh, <laughs> I never even thought to do that. It, um, wasn't, it wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but back to your question, I think that with the integration of our education facilities, it's just brought a whole different flavor um, of of culture and diversity to Kelowna. Um, and people are starting to value, again, outdoor space a lot more and natural beauty and moving from large cities to Kelowna. So they have different needs as well. And I think what's important to note there is as we have a tech sector that is starting to, to blossom with the Innovation Centre, People of more diverse backgrounds um, need different cultural assets as well. And so I think we have, as much as sport is really a focus here, and we, we see quite a bit of investment into sports, we also have to pay attention to, to culture. Um, because if people don't have a place to enjoy culture, then they will end up leaving, not because of money or because of the beauty of the area, but because of community connection and, and how that can feed their soul. I think one of the good investments was the H2O Center with the, you know, the 50-meter pool or whatever. Um, but I think maybe Prospera was underbuilt at the time. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think, I think that's one that I would have like, liked to have seen built bigger. And like, you know, I know when they were talking H2O, they were saying that's too big for here. We don't need that here. But like, obviously that is one of the big draws, right? So yeah, I would have built the bridge bigger too. Yeah, the bridge for (laughs) sure. (laughs) Like that's odd, right? Five lanes, why not six? (laughs) I mean, growing up, I, uh, I worked in the concession stand at what is now Prospera Place and used to get stuck on the public bus when the bridge thing would not uh, come back down. So I remember when it was being bridged, I was like built, I was saying, could they just not make it even lanes across the bridge? And here we are again with that's a, that's odd though right? Like, so right we have this much money so that's it right yeah we didn't learn from three lanes <laughs> so let's try not number again yeah, i know it's weird and, and i thought they were going to alternate the lanes in the beginning too but obviously that was obviously that was a pipe dream or just an afterthought right yeah we don't want to get too far down but uh, thank you for your time it's Always been great and i'd love to have you back again thank you very much for your time that's the end of today's conversation. If you have any topics that you'd like to have featured, please email Sarah Gouda at sgouda at nowmediagroup.ca. That's S-G-O-U-D-A at nowmediagroup.ca.